You're listening to a sermon from LifeGate Church of Seguin, Texas. This sermon was preached by Joshua Jordan, who serves as the lead pastor at LifeGate Church. Find out more about us at www.lifegateseguin.com. Invite you to make your way to the letter of Galatians. Continuing on in our series in Galatians, if you have a Bible, if you will make your way to Galatians 5, we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 15. Just three verses this morning. Galatians 5, 13 through 15. Before I read it, I want to begin with a question. When you hear the word freedom, What comes to mind? When you hear that word freedom, what comes to mind? What does that word mean to you? Let me ask a a, a similar question, but maybe just in a little different way. What does the word liberty imply? When you hear that word liberty, what does it imply? How would you answer those questions? What, what What comes to mind when you hear the word freedom? What does the word liberty imply? Is the word freedom to you, is that synonymous with autonomy and self-expression? So when you hear the word freedom, you immediately hear, I have the right to do what I want to do. Is that that how you understand freedom? Do you equate the word liberty with license? And by license, I mean the right to make whatever choice seems best to you. Now, if you're wondering, why am I beginning asking these questions? Well, let me assure you, it's not because I'm here to give a civics lessons this morning about the subjects of ordered liberty or the importance of seeking the greater good in society over the individual. And that's why I'm asking you, how do you view liberty and freedom? We are not going to have a civics lesson this morning. I'm asking you these questions Because today I want us to look at the Bible and listen to the Lord as he addresses us on what does it mean to be free in Christ. To be a Christian is to be free. To be a Christian is to be free. Listen to the Apostle Paul earlier in This chapter that we're looking at this morning in chapter 5, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Then he says, Stand firm, therefore, in your freedom, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. To be a Christian is to be Now, what does that mean exactly? Well, the answer to that question, what does it actually mean to be free, is the point of this morning's passage. So I want to invite you to follow along now as we read chapter 5, verses 13 through 15 together. Church, this is God's holy, inspired, and authoritative word. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, 
serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. At this point in the letter of Galatians, a new section has begun. It it, it begins here in verse 13, and it will stretch all the way to chapter 6, verse 10. Think of this part of the letter now as the application section. Paul has had to do a lot of work to get here, but now he's turning to these Galatians, and God is now giving us through this letter clear, here's what to do. Here's how we put feet to some of the things we've heard. And in these first three verses of this new section, Paul is returning to this theme of gospel freedom that he began to articulate in chapter 5, verse 1. But what he's doing here is different than what he's done earlier in the letter. At this point, the Apostle Paul isn't trying to tell us Stand firm in your freedom. And here's what it looks like to not allow your freedom to be compromised. No, here Paul is telling us, what do I mean by freedom? What is it and what is it not? What does it mean to be free and Christ? And what do I not mean when I use the term freedom? And what we discover in this passage before us is a simple a simple declaration about freedom in Christ. And it's this. Christian liberty should compel us to love as Christ has loved us. That's the simple point Paul's making. Christian liberty should compel us to love as Christ has loved us. And Paul's going to make this point by by drawing attention to three actions Three actions that were relevant to the the church in Galatia and three things that we need to be aware of if we are going to take in this truth that Christian liberty is a a call for us to love others as Christ has loved us. So what are these three actions? Here's our outline for this morning. In verse 13, live like slaves. Verse 14, fulfill the whole law. Verse 15, Do not tear the church apart. Now let's look at these three together. Or let's look at each of these three points. The first one is that Paul says in verse 13, live like slaves. Let me read the first part of verse 13 again. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for The flesh. Notice what Paul just said here in the beginning of verse 13. If you are in Christ, you are free. That is a truth that no matter who you are, no matter how long you've known Christ, whether you've known him for five minutes or for 50 years, if you are in Christ, you are free. However, your freedom and my freedom was not given to us for the sake of ourselves. Isn't that what Paul just said? Oh, you're free. 
But your freedom was not given to you for your sake. See, in Christ, we've been set free so that we no longer have to live for the kingdom of one. I love that. That's a term I've borrowed from Paul Tripp. He always talks about we live for the kingdom of one. And he's not talking about that one. He's talking about this one. How often do we live in our small, claustrophobic kingdom of one? And to be free means that Christ has set us free so that we don't have to live in the, 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 the tiny confines of the kingdom of one, but we can experience the joy of living for something far greater than ourselves. That's what it means to be free. Let, let, let me state the point Paul's making here in verse 13 in the most provocative way I know how. And then I want to show you why I'm making this point. Because it's here in the text. Here is how we should understand what Paul's saying. Christian liberty is not about personal autonomy. It's about voluntary slavery. Let me say that again. Because that's the point Paul's making here. Christian liberty is not about personal autonomy. It's about voluntary slavery. And if you're wondering where are you getting this slavery term from? It's here in verse 13 with the word serve. That word in verse 13 when Paul says, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but then goes on to say, but through love, serve one another. That word serve is not the normal word throughout the Greek New Testament for what we understand to just mean to serve someone. It's only used 25 times in the New Testament. And it's not the normal word for serve. It's the word that's associated with slavery. To be subservient to. Paul says, why did Christ set you free? So that you could be subservient to others. Here's how you could actually translate the last part of verse 13. In love. Act as slaves towards one another. That's probably the most literal translation. In love, act as slaves towards one another. Now at this point, if you've been here any number of weeks and you have not, and you've been awake and paying attention, you are ready to call a foul and throw a flag. Because you would all of a sudden say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Chapter 5, verse 1, do not again submit to the yoke of slavery. How in the world can Paul speak that way? Did he forget what he just penned just a few verses earlier? How can he say, don't submit again to the yoke of slavery, and yet then turn around and say, in love, act as slaves toward one another? Well, first of all, we're not being Forced to love, we are actually being freed to love. That's the point Paul's making. We are now free to love people when before we were under the slavery that made us selfish and we've been freed from that selfishness. Not to say that we don't struggle with selfishness anymore, but we're no longer under its bondage. Now we are free 
to love. Listen to verse 6 again of chapter 5. We looked at this a few weeks ago, but we didn't talk much about the last phrase because I knew we were coming to this passage. Paul says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. Remember, this is a big debate in the church in Galatia. They're arguing about this Old Testament part of the Mosaic Law. And Paul says, that's irrelevant. It's only faith working through love that matters. And when he says only faith working through love, what does he mean? That faith produces love. So when we put our faith in Christ, something begins to happen in us. We are free to do something we could not do on our own. Our faith in Christ now produces something in us that we could not produce in our own strength by just mustering it up or having the willpower to get there. In other words, we are free to love others. Now, apparently, this wasn't the view of those in Galatia. They did not see Christian liberty this way. Here's the question for you and for me this morning. How about us? Is this your view of Christian liberty? To be a voluntary slave to others in love? Now, before we move on to verse 14, because I don't think we'll understand verse 14 and what Paul's doing here unless we kind of have one of those moments. I don't know if you have them uh, regularly, but I do as I read Scripture. I'm often reading and stopping and scratching my head and saying, okay, wait, there's a problem here, or I don't understand this. And one of the questions that arises here, it's a why question. Why is it that Paul makes this bold claim in verse 13 to say, why is the primary reason we are given freedom is so that we can love others. And that's a pretty big thing to say. The primary reason you were freed in Christ is to love others. According to verse 13, that appears to be the point Paul's making. You were freed to serve others. Now, I doubt any of us would disagree that as believers we should be Loving one another and serving one another. We all are aware that that in sin we are selfish and can be just self-focused. And and, and yes, one of the, the things that happened when Christ died, one of the benefits is that we're freed from this selfishness. But the primary reason for our freedom is this. Isn't the primary reason for our freedom in Christ so that we no longer have to obey the law in order to be right with God, Paul? Isn't the primary reason we're freed so that we don't have to experience the curse of the law? Well, Paul understands that that's an objection anyone's going to have. That's why he says what he does in verse 14. In case we say, well, Paul, I I think you're pushing the gas on this one too hard. I, I think you're emphasizing that far stronger than you are. The primary reason we're free is... To love other people by putting ourselves as their servants? Paul, I don't get that. Well, that brings us now to verse 14 where Paul's going to explain why this is. That brings us to point to fulfill the whole law. Paul goes on to say, for the whole law is fulfilled 
in one word. You shall love your neighbor. As yourself. Now, in order to understand the point Paul's making here in verse 14, can can we just step back for a second and look at the structure or the pattern of this passage? Verses 13 and 15 go together. And in between, like a sandwich, he puts verse 14 to make this point. So in verse 13, we're told that we're that we are not free to live for ourselves. And then in verse 15, which is paired with verse 13, we're given this warning. The, the Galatians were given this warning. Here's the result. If you choose to, to use your freedom for yourself, here's what's going to happen. This is what an abuse of freedom will look like. So verse 13 states this point. Verse 15 tells us the consequence. And in verse 14, we have the basis for why Paul says that. So you see what he's doing here? He makes this point. He's going to close the thought. But in between, he realizes a lot of people could have the objection to say, I'm not not tracking with you, Paul, that, that our freedom is for the purpose of us to serve one another in love. Is that really the main point? According to verse 14, Christ has set us free so that we could love and by doing so fulfill the whole law. Look at verse 14, the beginning again. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. What is that word? Love. And then Paul quotes from Leviticus 19.18, which says to love your neighbor as yourself. Notice what Paul's doing here. Very wise. He's appealing to the law keepers that are among this church that are struggling to think that they're, they're, they're keeping the law merits them favor with God. And he makes a move that's kind of surprising. He appeals to their law keeping. He says, I'm with you. The law is important. You must keep the law. However, the way in which you understand the law, now that you've come to Christ, has radically changed. It's not to say the law is to be thrown out. It has no bearing in our life. The problem is how you are relating to the law. In his excellent commentary on the book of Galatians, Thomas Schreiner says this. He says, it's astonishing that Paul speaks here of fulfilling the Old Testament law after emphasizing in such great details that believers are no longer under the Old Testament law. If you've been paying attention to this Galatians Series, you're thinking, Paul, are you forgetting what you said earlier? It is astonishing that Paul here speaks of fulfilling the Old Testament law after he had just gone through great lengths emphasizing how believers are no longer under the Old Testament law. For example, in chapter 5, verse 3, Paul has just stated, this is still part of his quote, Paul has just stated that believers ought not to receive circumcision Because if they do so, they are obligated to keep the whole law. Do you remember that point he made in chapter 5, verse 3? We're not talking about earlier in the book. This is just a few verses earlier. His whole point to these believers 
that are trying to say, well, oh, we, we totally believe in Jesus, but we think you have to keep the Mosaic law, including circumcision. And Paul says, listen, that's wrong-headed. You, you can't think that way. That's not how you relate to the law. But then here he turns around and says the entire law is fulfilled in loving one another. And he cites from the law, Leviticus 19.18. And you think, Paul, what are you up to? What are you doing here? So look, look back at chapter 5, verse 3. And let's compare it for just a moment with verse 14. If you don't feel this tension, let's, let's look at it and see. Oh yeah, that, that, that appears to be Paul saying one thing and yet turning around and saying another. In verse 3, he says, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep what? The whole law. Verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, What is going on here? Well, first of all, in chapter 5, verse 3, when Paul speaks about the law, it appears that the way they're relating to the law makes them debtors. But here in verse 14, the law is free. So what's the difference? What happened? What are you talking about in verse 3, Paul? And then to turn around in verse 14 and say something that seems contradictory. Well, here's the difference. The key words are doing the law in verse 3 versus fulfilling the law in verse 14. Doing the law and fulfilling the law. Tom Schreiner again helpfully says it this way. Doing the law is required for justification and is unobtainable. That's the point he was making earlier. Here are people who think, well, we've got to keep the law to be right with God. First of all, Paul makes the point, if you think law-keeping makes you right with God, you don't understand the gospel of grace. But even if we were to erase that point for a second, how's that working for you? Because if you're going to keep the whole law, you, you've got to do it completely. You just can't say, well, I didn't murder someone, but I did this one. You either keep the law or you break all the law. And who here has kept all the law? So if you want to be right with God on the basis of circumcision or the foods you eat, listen, that's a dead-end street. Because you can't do it. It's unattainable. So doing the law is required for justification and is unobtainable while fulfilling the law is the consequence of justification and the result of the Spirit's work. You see the point he's making? He's saying if you are seeking to make the law and obedience to the law the thing that makes you right with God, you are dead wrong. But you need to understand this. When you are right with God. On the basis of what Christ has done. You desire to keep the law. You, you want to fulfill the law. So He's not saying the problem isn't with the law. It's because how we relate to it. See, once we come to saving faith in Christ, we experience freedom from the bondage of sin so that we in love can act as slaves toward one another. And by doing so, Paul says the law is fulfilled 
in us. This isn't the first time Paul has made this claim. In Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10, we find very similar language. Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. Let me read it. In this section, Paul says, Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Now what in the world does this mean? I believe that here in Galatians chapter 5 verse 14 and in Romans 13, Paul is referring to the topic of sanctification, not justification. As he's talking about us loving others and by doing so fulfilling the whole law, he is not talking about our justification before God, but our sanctification. So much of the letter of Galatians up to this point has been focused on the topic of justification. How am I, how is anyone made right with God? A holy God who demands perfection, who deserves perfection, and yet all of us sinners who, who haven't gone a day, who've hardly gone an hour, who may not have gone a minute without sin and imperfections, how are we supposed to relate to that God? That's what justification is about. And Paul has dealt with that all throughout this letter. But from this point forward, Paul begins to address the topic of sanctification, not justification. And he begins to talk about what does sanctification look like in the life of a believer. So here's a question for us to consider this morning. Do you understand the difference between justification and sanctification? Do you understand the importance, the significance of the order in which they take place? Not only do you understand what justification is and what sanctification is, do you understand the order in which they take place? Listen, church. Failing to understand what justification and sanctification are and the order in which they take place that will cause us to stray into the ditch of either legalism or license. Do you remember those two ditches again? Here we are on the road to Christ, on the road of grace. And on both sides, there are two dangerous ditches we can fall into. The ditch of license, saying the law doesn't matter. I'm, just, I'm free in Christ. I can just live like however I'm forgiven. The law doesn't matter. The other ditch on the other side is legalism. This says, great that Christ died for me, but I got to do more. I, I got to make sure I keep up. Like I, I deserve it. I'm, 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 I'm you know, doing my, my, my share, doing my weight. Otherwise, I, I can't be considered right before God. And those are the ditches on both sides. And listen, when we don't understand justification and sanctification, we're heading to one of those ditches. It's a guarantee. 
We're heading to one of those ditches if we don't understand what is the difference between these two. So let me take just a moment to hopefully explain the difference. And I want to just refer to C.J. Mahaney's book, The Cross-Centered Life, and how he distinguishes these two. So helpful. He says, justification is being declared righteous. It's a declaration. And we're not being declared righteous because it's like a judge who looks at someone and says, no, you're innocent. No, we're guilty. If God was to give us the accurate verdict, everyone, everywhere, from all time, would hear the same verdict. Guilty. But we are declared righteous, not because we are, but because of Christ's finished work. Because of His righteousness, we're declared righteousness. That's what justification is. Justification is being declared righteous. Sanctification is being made righteous. It's being conformed to the image of Christ. CJ goes on to say, justification is objective. It's Christ's work for us. See, my justification isn't based on how I feel. My justification isn't based on, uh, do I think I'm sinning enough? Do I think I really, do I even think my repentance has been legit enough? No, my justification is based on, do I believe Christ lived a perfect life in my place, died for my sin, absorbed the wrath of God in my place, and now I can stand as one who is righteous, not because I am, but because of Christ alone. That's justification. It's objective. Sanctification is subjective. It's Christ's work within us. And if you're anything like me, there's certain days where it's just like, oh, Christ, are you at work in me? <laughs> and there's other days I can say, okay, I, I can kind of see a little bit. Justification isn't looking at ourselves. Our sanctification is Christ at work in us. Then he goes on to say this. Justification is immediate and complete upon conversion. You will never be more justified than you are the first moment you trust in the person and the finished work of Christ. The moment somebody puts their faith in Jesus, repents of their sin, asks Jesus to save them and forgive them, they are completely, completely, completely justified. They are not somewhat justified, almost justified, three-fourths of justified. No, they are justified. Justification is immediate. Sanctification is a process. You will be more sanctified as you continue in grace-motivated obedience. You see why it's so important to pay careful attention to the, the difference between justification and sanctification and the order? We are not sanctified until we are justified. And we're not justified because we have done enough. We are justified because Christ has done for us what we could never do on our own. It appears, as we've read this letter, that the Galatians were confusing justification with sanctification. And by doing so, they were under the illusion, and what an illusion it was, that their righteous acts merited favor with God. As if God looked down and says, oh, you're circumcised? That makes you worthy. See, they've confused their justification with their sanctification. 
And this is why Paul has painstakingly had to clarify the nature and order of salvation. As we've seen throughout this letter, here's what, here's what Paul has shown us. Here's what Scripture has, has revealed to us, what God has revealed to us in Scripture. When we come to Christ through faith, we're united to Him. And because we're united to Christ, we are justified before God. And because we're united before with Christ, we are adopted into His family. And then, and only then, does He begin to change us. Getting that order wrong is deadly. We are justified, united, and adopted because of Christ. And then and only then does God begin to change us. Now there's another error though. Where the Galatians were struggling with this, there could easily be, and we don't only see this in Galatians, we see it in Romans, where someone could hear Paul and they make, make the wrong conclusion that he's saying something he's not trying to say. So there's a flip side to this. The opposite mistake we can make is to think because we are justified before God, by placing our faith in Christ, we don't have to obey His commands. Well, if I'm not, I don't get merit for obeying His commands, I don't have to. I'm free in Jesus. I put my faith in Him, I have eternal security. I mean, I don't want to be a bad person, but I don't have to follow God's commands. Listen, you must not believe that your justified position in Christ requires no effort on your part to live a godly and holy life. That is an error. It's not biblical. Now you may have noticed, here's one of those moments again where if we're following along and paying attention, we scratch our head again and say, Paul, why do you just emphasize that loving neighbor is fulfilling the whole law? I thought Jesus, when asked, what's the greatest commandment? He shared two things. The first one was, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You seem to exclude that one. And all you're talking about is if someone loves their neighbor, they fulfilled the whole law. Doesn't that sound kind of squishy? Doesn't that kind of sound like the path to theological liberalism? Well, all we need to do to be right with God is just love our neighbor. Let's serve in soup kitchens. Let's do all of these things. Let's just let's be good neighbors. Is that what Paul's saying here? Why, why does he exclude such a vital point about love for God? Well, this is an important thing for us to consider. I'll throw this in there as a little parenthesis for free this morning. In light of this morning's new series we began on interpreting Scripture, one thing we must always remember when we're interpreting Scripture, especially letters, they're situational. There's things going on in Galatia that Paul is not trying to address every topic in Christendom. He's addressing them and he knows them and their struggles. He's not bringing up something that they're not struggling with. He's addressing what they're struggling with. And it's clear from this letter, it's very apparent that these professing Christians in Galatia, they're not struggling with understanding their love and right relationship with God. Now they're getting it wrong, but they're they're. Focus on their right standing with God. They appear to have no concern with their relationship for one another. 
And that's why Paul is bringing to them that thing they are completely missing. Oh, they're concerned with the vertical. And they're missing the horizontal. And Paul's saying, hey, for people who care so much about getting it right, uh, don't you realize the way you're relating to one another is revealing? That's what Paul's doing here. See, they need to grow in sanctification. They need to grow in sanctification in how they relate to one another. And we see that in verse 15. That Paul continues to emphasize this point. That brings us now to point three. Do not tear the church apart. Now, to get a sense of what Paul's saying here in verse 15, I want to read verse 13 and then we'll read verse 15. You see how they flow together. For you are called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. You see what's happening in verse 15? It's a warning. He's giving them a warning. If you use your freedom to serve your flesh and you refuse to love one another by serving one another, this is what's going to happen. And notice the words Paul uses. It's incredible the way he describes it. You almost want to say, Paul, that, that, that is a little too much. That... that the hyperbole needs to be brought down a little bit. Notice what he said. You bite and devour one another and will end up consuming one another. Do you see the stark picture he's painting? You will end up, if you don't stop seeing your freedom this way, you're going to end up acting like a bunch of ravenous animals, tearing each other apart instead of acting like saints of God who are slaves in love. And I don't think this is a stretch. I think it's a safe bet to say that Paul's warning here in verse 15 isn't hypothetical. I don't think he's just saying, hey, I just want to kind of let y'all guys know this in case you get to this point. If we've been paying attention throughout this letter, this is a church that's engaged in conflict and the church is being torn apart because of how they're relating to one another. Now can you see, let's go back to where we were a minute ago. Now can you see why Paul isolates this command in Leviticus 19.18 to love neighbors, the fulfillment of the law. Here are people so focused on the vertical that they are biting and devouring one another. And Paul says, hey, listen, you love the law. How about you do this? Love one another. End of sentence. Spend the rest of your days working on that one. And we will end all these debates about circumcision, about all these other things. See, the congregation here in Galatia had gotten it all wrong. Not only, not only were they believing a false gospel and relating to God on the basis of this false gospel, they were relating to each other apart from the gospel of grace. See, their, their wrong view of the gospel not only affected how they related to God, it affected how they related to each other. 
Now, can I just stop here for a moment and commend you as a church? I just want to commend you on the way that you love one another and serve one another. I thank God for the unity that we have. I thank God that you are a church that loves one another and serves one another. So I just want to, I want to just say that. I, as I was reading this letter, I was just aware that doesn't sound like Lifegate. And I thank God for that. I thank God for you. But listen carefully, brothers and sisters. We, we dare not pat ourselves on the back because of the way we serve each other in a spirit of love and yet not think we still have much room to grow. We do. Let us not forget that we're susceptible to the same temptations that have been addressed in this sacred letter. So how can we grow as a church in light of God's sanctifying grace? How can we say thank you God that we are experiencing love for one another and serving one another, but we're also aware of the dangers that are before us? What, what can we do? Here's one thing that I was thinking about this week in light of this whole letter, but in light of also this passage in particular. Listen, God glorifying churches that are used by God to reach the world. They, they boldly preach the gospel of grace and they pursue godliness without compromise. And here's why I say that. Because I think there's a temptation in every church to think if we preach a gospel of grace boldly, we've got to be a little quiet about holiness and godliness. As if holiness and godliness are bad words. Because we're all about grace. And sometimes we can be tempted if we're so concerned about godliness and holiness, we can talk about it in such a way that it gives the impression that we just need to be more godly. We just need to be more holy as if grace doesn't motivate us and grace is absent from, from the conversation. And the only time grace is mentioned is, oh, you failed to be holy? Well, at least God will forgive you. Instead of Paul never calls us to do anything in the Christian life without taking it back to the gospel and said, because of what Christ has done, you can do this. Why do I mention this? Because brothers and sisters, the error of legalism and the error of license are not just ditches individual Christians can fall in. They are, they are massive canyons that churches can plummet into. We can become the grace church. All about grace. We don't talk about holiness. We talk about godliness. We can become the godliness, holiness church. And grace is just assumed. May that never be. It's one of the things I believe the Lord would want us to take away from this letter. So here's the question. How do we avoid each of these errors as a church? How do we avoid these errors? For one thing, we must keep loving the one who has loved us and given himself for us. Galatians 2.20. You remember? Christ loves us and has given himself for us. So therefore, 
Our whole relationship with God and our whole relationship with one another should not be based on any form of merit or who's done what or who's not done what. It's we are loved by Christ. Therefore, we love Christ who has first loved us. And secondly, we must live as those who are dependent upon the Spirit of God. That's what we're going to see next week. That Paul doesn't just say, hey guys, time for godliness, time for holiness. We, we had all the theological conversation, now let's get, let's get to the nitty gritty. Let's, let's okay, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Get it in gear. No. Walk according to the Spirit. You know what that means? Apart from the Spirit, good luck. So how do we be a church that doesn't fall into the canyons of legalism or license? We keep loving the one who has loved us and we keep being people who pursue godliness, not based on our hard work and effort. But we are dependent upon the Spirit. May God help us. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we do need your help. And we know that you are a gracious Father and a glorious Savior who is eager to help. Help us be the kind of church and help us to be the kind of Christians who live out the gospel and how we relate to you and how we relate to one another in a way that is pleasing and glorifying and God-honoring. Lord, protect us from the dangers we have seen in this letter. Thank you for the sacred letter. What a gift it has been to this church during this season. How kind of you to speak to us week in and week out and draw our attention to these things. But now, Lord, we pray, help us to be doers of the word and not just hearers. And help us to not be doers on our own strength, but people who are dependent upon the spirit. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.